You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts today, Jen Wilkin and JT English. And on today's episode, we're also joined by the TVCI intern, Nate Elgin. Listen, we have loved the audience interaction on Twitter and on Instagram. And so to start trying to kind of aggregate that so that audience members can be talking to one another, we're going to start using the hashtag Knowing Faith Podcast. Hashtag Knowing Faith Podcast. If you want to jump into the conversation or discussion, you can hashtag Knowing Faith Podcast in order to kind of be a part of other uh, community members that are listening to Knowing Faith. So we hope you enjoy the discussion on baptism today. Okay, well, good morning. We have uh, Nasty Nate, uh, round two nope, with us this Nate. morning. Nope. Welcome. Nope, I do, uh, I do not receive that. Man, we get so many emails in that says, hey, can we get another appearance of Nasty Nate? And so we're so glad that you've joined us. Nate Elgin, Nate Elgin uh, the TVCI intern, is with us today. Welcome, Nate. Uh, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. The, 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 the crowds have been clamoring. You've actually been confronted multiple times. Like people have been like, oh, you're nasty Nate. Yeah, from- that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, I've had people from the village church and people from way outside the village church who just love the Knowing Faith podcast come up to me and say, hey, why do they call you nasty Nate? And I have to tell them, they don't because <laughs> I'm not him. And that was Nathan Campbell, who was the intern last year. Yeah. And no one calls him that either. The first time he was called Nasty Nate is when you, Kyle, did it on the air. Well, and he's not nasty in the least. I've always been I've always been a kingmaker. So I just think <laughs> speaking things into existence. Yeah. I'm like Jay Z. Yeah, like I just create notes. brands wherever I go. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Speaking things into existence, mm-hmm. like the show notes yeah, that exactly. you gave me yeah, well, on the air, which you did not, again, did not discuss with no, anyone else. I, when I you were no it. longer a part of the department. <laughs> no, That's I, right. you know, really, I get to come in here now and just <laughs> kind of say whatever. It's pretty free. We we are, we're glad you get to do that. Yeah, man. There's a lot of freedom in this room. There's a lot of freedom in this space, mm-hmm. right? Mm. 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 <laughs> Um, well, okay, so uh, no, we are glad to have Nate Elgin with us. Uh, I guess we have a type at TVCI to have back-to-back years with intern's name. Nasty Nate. Nasty Nate. Nasty Nate. Nate. Nasty Nate. Mm-hmm. The Nasty Nates. And, yeah. t- and today we're talking <laughs> about... really well. <laughs> hey, what's the update on the show notes, Nasty yeah, Nate? Yeah, where are they at, man? Uh, I'm going back through. I'm still in season one, uh, kind of keeping track of anything you guys mention and resources, all that kind of stuff. I think I'm in episode 13, okay. somewhere in there. So. so no problem. You just got yeah. a couple seasons to But you'll go. probably be done by the time this one airs. By the mm. time the Lord returns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's hope that happens mm-hmm. first. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, well, well, really, we all owe you a debt of gratitude for going back and listening to this podcast. No, I, it's great for me because I, I love the podcast before I worked here. Mm. Uh, so it's fun for me to go back. And now that I kind of know you guys and know your personality, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun for me to go back and listen to them so well, thank you we we also think that we're nice incredibly Nate. charming so yeah. <laughs> i know nice i know Nate. you do um okay well we're talking about <laughs> baptism today i love this topic um you love this topic no, jt's coming my in. sleeves are already rolled up and yeah it's 8 you are you've cuffed your sleeves really quickly. i'm ready to go well yours are kind of but mine are like this, cuffs. a church planner cuff yeah, you've got the look now you didn't have the look now you uh-huh. went to a few conferences and you've got the church planner look. Yeah. you do look but, a little lumberjacky oh i do well mm-hmm. yeah and i had like a trucker hat on before we started yeah. this i just couldn't wear it in front of you guys <laughs> Are trucker hats still cool? They were in 96. Okay. 
<laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay, we're talking about baptism today, and um, we're talking about baptism because it's a topic where there's a ton of confusion around what it is and why it is and how it is and all of the questions around baptism. Pastorally, I would say this is one of the trickier topics. I got to teach the baptism class at the Dallas campus of the village for a number of years. Right now, the church that I'm pastoring is walking through the baptism process. And I will just say that from a pastoral perspective, this is one of those theological issues that really just really impacts people. It really weighs on people. How they've thought about baptism in the past and how the Bible talks about baptism and, you know, just even how uh, maybe the homes there, it's tied yeah. into the social fabric and sure. how they were raised. So it's a really big topic. And so we thought, you know what, we should do an episode talking through just kind of a, a, a theology of baptism and asking some of the core questions around that. So why does baptism matter? Like outside of the reason I mentioned, why why should we be talking about baptism? I mean, it obviously matters a lot for the reasons that you mentioned. Uh, like I, I came to faith later, but had been baptized as an infant. And in some sense, I, and I wanted to get rebaptized. I thought that, that was what the Bible was asking me to do. Uh, but I felt like I was doing an injustice to my family. Like I felt like I was being disloyal in some way to my family if I was doing that. So there are a lot of emotional kind of family ties tied up here, but it also matters theologically because this is something the Bible speaks about a lot and talks about a lot. Something that Jesus uh, commands his disciples to do. He commands his disciples to go baptize other people in the great commission. And so the way the church thinks, speaks, embodies baptism uh, matters because the Bible uh, speaks uh, numerous times about this. Right. So, uh, what what is baptism, and what does it do, and what does it signify? Oh, those are all easy. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, let's just start big picture. Can we can we get a can we get a definition of baptism out on the table? So, baptism, along, I would say, along with the Lord's Supper, uh-huh. are the means by which the people of God rehearse the story of God communally. Okay. And so we're, we're not just here. That's good, JT. Uh, yeah, it is. I, I didn't even have that in notes or anything. I just no, that he wow. said that yeah. looking directly at Kyle's yeah. face. Yeah, he yeah. did. He was, no, he was reading so it I'm off not, the card that I had. <laughs> so I'm not sure I can get it right again. <laughs> uh, but th- so the Bible always is, has these practices, even in the Old Testament, that help the people of God remember the story that God has given them and the story of what God has done among them. And so the Lord's Supper and baptism become these uh, communal events and acts within the life of the local church that help us remember and rehearse what God has, has done and accomplished uh, on our behalf. That's good. So what are some of the Old Testament acts that the Jewish community was practicing? Uh, I mean, you have feasts, you have uh, Passover, things like that. You have circumcision. Right. Circumcision is, is usually the one that's most often equated with the modern form of baptism as being a covenant sign yeah. that the people of God would use to kind of publicly mark themselves as belonging to the people of God. And so you have a lot uh, that's probably the most analogous act in the Old Testament to what we have for baptism today. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the ways I've heard it described that was helpful to me is like why 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 did we have circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism in the New, um, is because the sign of the New Covenant is a bloodless sign because the blood has been shed for us. The sign of the Old Covenant was a bloody sign pointing toward the work yeah, of Christ. That's good. That in uh, you know another huge part of it I think is just that that idea of being born again that we're not entering into God's covenant community through physical birth. Mm-hmm. We're entering to God's covenant community through spiritual rebirth, mm-hmm. right. right? And so baptism is able to be kind of a more faithful signifier mm-hmm. or act than the act of circumcision was because of what it signifies, what it points to. So when you talk about, JT, when you just got that definition a minute ago that these are communal events, mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the significance of baptism as a communal event or this, the significance of, let, let's say, 
the ordinances and <clears throat> you didn't throw this term out but you were we were getting close to it yeah we often talk about in the church that there are two ordinances right sometimes called two sacraments mm-hmm. and these ordinances or sacraments are again though it's that means by which the methods by which the acts by which we're retelling mm-hmm. this story of what god has done in his people yep. and those two are baptism and the lord's supper yep and so with baptism um, uh, serving as a communal event, what does that actually mean? How is baptism tied into the community of faith? Yeah, we often talk about baptism as kind of an individual event, and there is definitely an individual that is one of the primary participants in the event of baptism. They're the one being plunged or immersed, uh, and they're the one who, are, who is confessing, this is what God has accomplished in my life. But at the same time, there are other actors at play. It's a, it's a participatory event and not all that dissimilar from like a wedding. When you're at a wedding, you're not just a, uh, somebody that's an audience, but you're a witness and a participant and somebody who's agreeing with what is happening and saying this is a, a good thing. So for example, uh, in baptism, you have the person that's getting baptized as one of the primary actors. You have God uh, uh, present as one of the primary actors. And you have the community, and the community is affirming somebody and saying, we believe that you have a Christian confession. We believe that you're living in accordance with a Christian ethic or Christian morals. We think that God has saved you, and so we are affirming or confirming that this is an act physically that you should undergo because it's already an act spiritually that God has accomplished in you. And we are prepared to receive you into this family, to nourish you, to persevere alongside of you, to care for you as you're going to do for us. Yeah. So we are talking about a distinctive view of baptism. Like you and I, there is a biblical. We view. couldn't help it. Like <laughs> we, just, we literally, we literally just assumed it. And went, uh, like, uh, you're doing that terrible thing where you're like, and that's the end. Okay, right. move on. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that is what baptism mm-hmm. is. And so, yes. you would also be in agreement with us, John the Baptist. Okay, <laughs> thank you. And he's good to have on our side in a long line, an Can unbroken we get him line. On the show, huh? I feel like. Oh no. man, he would be a good that. get for a guest. Um, But uh, when we're talking about baptism, uh, we, uh, we being Baptists, like are marked by a distinctive view of baptism. Sometimes it's called believer's baptism or baptism for disciples. And it affects almost immediately the way that we define the concept. Like, because even just a minute ago. You can't. Yes, right. for sure. So, like, if somebody asked me to define baptism, I'd be like, oh, I have it right here in front of me. The Christian baptism is immersion in water of a believer into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, I've said two things there <laughs> that are distinctively tied to one denomination, one tradition, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it's immersion, right, and that it's for believers. That's right. So there are different views on baptism. And something, I know that there are definite listeners who disagree with my definition, sure. your definition. And at TBC, we are, we're part of a, a Baptist convention. We're Baptists theologically. Uh, but we also think this is a sec, it is an important issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Don't hear me. I'm not trying to yeah, war, diminish wars, its wars importance. Yes, this is a very important yeah. issue. However, it's not a primary issue. No. Like the exclusivity of Jesus, the uh, Trinitarianism, biblical authority, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. So we're happy to be in partnership and be in fellowship and work alongside others who perhaps would like a pedo Baptist view sure. or even some other Baptist views. Sure. And say, we, let's partner together for the sake of the kingdom mm, of God. That's a big word, Pado Baptist. Yeah. What does right. that mean, Jay? Yeah, let's talk about Nate. What is like? What's Pado Baptism broadly? Uh, Pado Baptism is uh, what we would most commonly just see as infant baptism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it, the term itself comes from the Greek word pais, which is for children. Uh, so, baptizing infants. It, it 
has different implications as well as what baptism symbolizes and why it's used for infants and not just adult believers or perhaps young believers, anyone who's placed their faith in Christ, but uh, more of an initiation into a covenant community and that uh, being part of the body of Christ, whether you're an infant or uh, an adult, whatever it may be, uh, you are afforded the promises that God has made to the covenant community just by nature of being there. Yeah. So, okay, there's a lot there. What are some of the traditions that practice infant baptism? Uh, Presbyterians, Methodists, you know. Roman Catholic, Catholic, certainly. Eastern Orthodox. Yeah. Basically everybody but yeah. Baptists. Yeah, basically yeah. everybody but Baptists. Yeah, and well, then, uh, I mean, the like, Assemblies of God and the Free Church, Church Christ, tra- the, the yeah. Free Church tradition is pretty big on Baptistic, ba- Baptistic yeah. beliefs, but but you're what is some kind, sometimes called your mainline traditions, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopal, Anglican, Roman Catholic. And it was the primary Orthodox. practice of the Church for, yeah, inarguably. debatably, 1,600 years other than right. the, early, the earliest yeah. Church. Yeah. Yes, they're yeah. they're uh, as a Baptist, I get really particular about the history. They're, cause <laughs> you're not just a Baptist. No, I'm you're like, like the, I'm like Barry the Baptist. Yeah, you're <laughs> you're like like Barry Captain, the Baptist. Captain Baptist. <laughs> and when we're talking mm. about Baptist, just for the record, uh, a lot of times uh, you, you hear Baptist first as a denominational distinction. That's not how we're using. No, it. Baptist is first a theological kind of conviction. That's right. Um, and so uh, we have to, especially now with just how everything is a buzzword for something. When we're talking about Baptists, we're really talking about a particular view of baptism as an ordinance. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's how we're doing it in the life of this episode. Um, but when we're talking about baptism in contrast with infant baptism, I think it's important to realize, to go back to the unity and charity thing mm-hmm. that JT was talking about, is that the core thing, what the thing I would say is non-negotiable for Christian baptism is that it is baptism into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy yep, Spirit. Yeah. That is the baptism formula. So if somebody comes to me and they're like, listen, I don't believe that baptism uh, is uh, should be practiced after, like, I, I believe you should be able to baptize infants. Okay, well, we disagree, and you're probably not going to enjoy membership in the life of the church I pastor. Um, for example, in, in our church, I know for the village as well, at least it was while I was working here, believer's baptism is a prerequisite for membership. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but that's not to say that, like, I'd be like, you're not a Christian because of this view. That's right. But if somebody said, I believe that we baptize into the name of... John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Or we baptize into the name of a God concept. Or we baptize into the... Even if they said we baptize into the name of love, mm-hmm. uh, which is some churches have heard will do something like that. Yeah. Go, well, no, baptism is baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're receiving a very specific identity and into a very specific family. Right, exactly. Because baptism is the public identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether that's happening as an infant or believer post-conversion, um, it must happen, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, so when we're talking about baptism, there's a ton of issues uh, to, get, uh, to get involved with here. But what does baptism signify? What's the story it's telling? Let's go to Romans 6, 1 through 11, because this is a place where we could all kind of just look at this together and tell the story of what baptism is telling, like the story that baptism is telling. What do we find when we get to Romans 6, 1 through 11? It's this really clear imagery and picture of death and new life. We are being 
the, the, baptiz, uh, the baptismal candidate is being baptized into Christ's death and being raised to walk a new life. So as somebody's being immersed down into the waters, you see that all the chaos of their former self and their former life is, is being uh, crucified, is being put into the ground, is dying there. And God is going to raise up a new person with a new identity that will be identified with the Father, with the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this person uh, has been given new life. And one day it's signifying that if the Lord tarries and doesn't come come back, they will be actually put into the ground, but they will burst forth gloriously the same way Jesus did in a resurrection body and reign forever with him in the new heavens and new earth. Yeah. So it's both signifying a, a, a past spiritual event right. of being crucified with Christ, but it's also signifying a future physical event of ultimate salvation. Yeah. And, and it's heavily dependent on wrapping us up into Jesus. That's right. right? It's all about being buried in him right. and raised to walk in his new life. Right. And the baptism doesn't accomplish that, right? Correct. It's yeah. not like that's when it happens. Correct. Yeah. It, we would see baptism. And I think this is the kind of normal pattern in the new Testament. The baptism is the, uh, natural next step of someone who has received the indwelling of the Holy spirit and has been regenerated by his power. Uh, and then the nat- the kind of natural assumed next step is to publicly align yourself with your new King. Right. By getting in the water and identifying and saying, I'm, it's a, a personal confirmation of what God has already done in the heart of the believer. Right. Mm-hmm. There's nothing kind of magical or uh, necessarily mystical that changes about you in the baptism, but it's a reflection of what God has already done. And you're kind of publicly proclaiming, this is what Christ did for me. Yeah. Uh, please, Jen. Well, I was going to say one of my favorite images of this, which the New Testament points back to, is the ark. Mm. Because Noah and his family get on the ark not because they wish to be saved. Like they will they will be physically delivered, mm-hmm. but they get on the ark as an act of faith. Yeah. And then yeah. the the beautiful detail that a lot of times we miss is that it is God who shuts the door. He's mm-hmm. the one who closes them in. He seals them. And and if the ark then is a picture of us being sealed in Christ, it's this really great picture of how we're sealed and, and saved through the through as we pass through the waters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pastor Jen Walken with the biblical theology yeah. this morning. Well, and no doubt, and she's coming out of First Peter because she's yeah, so, Peter. I know, First I, Peter and Genesis. I'm I'm tell, I, was yeah, like, I was head. like, Jen's about to fire off something of First Peter. It was coming. <laughs> I know how you love it. Um, but like, there are some of those images, but you, you uh, what you just said, that uh, baptism is passing through the waters of death. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. language that we use when yeah. we've taught on this in the training program. Yeah. Yep. And you get it in First Peter 3. Yeah. You get it in First Corinthians 10 with the Exodus event mm-hmm. where Paul's connecting our baptism to the Exodus event. And then you get it, Colossians 2, with circumcision. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's this idea that baptism is a submerging or immersion or a fully going down into the depths of death to be brought back up into life. That's right. Right? And that's incredibly beautiful imagery, especially when you think about how the... Oh, old the ancient Near Eastern mind thought about water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right? It's where you went to die. It's yeah. Water is like not well, a good, not a great place to end up. Well, it's, it's birth water. and death. I mean, water is closely associated with birth too. But I think what we miss is that in uh, you know even a hundred years ago, um, pregnancy was closely associated with death. Mm. Yeah. So mm. uh, and that a, a successful live birth was not something anyone could assume. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about water and the, being a combined image of birth and death for our minds, it's a little hard to wrap. To, to get to, but yeah. for the ancient mind, mm. you know, childbearing was something that was closely associated with loss. Right. So this idea of being born and being mm-hmm. born through death mm-hmm. and being mm-hmm. born through the waters of mm-hmm. death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. Are there any New Testament, I'm trying to think, because I think I would want to say like, um, Genesis 1 mm-hmm. would kind of give us pictures of God creating, uh, hovering over the waters mm-hmm. and yeah. bringing about sure. something new, creating order out of chaos. You also have Joshua uh, as they're inheriting the promised land. They're crossing the Jordan. Jordan this is yeah. a new birth. Here. But I'm wondering, are there any new, t- I'm trying to think, are there New Testament passages? Because uh, I would I would point to those places as being kind of types mm-hmm. of baptism. But I'm trying to think, are there actual New Testament references to that? This is New Testament references to Genesis to the- 1 or Joshua 3? That's a good question. I don't know. Well, I mean, there, there's more in the Matthew Old Testament. Matthew 14 comes Exodus. to my mind. Okay. Yeah, we're just talking on the water. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you have the picture of where, where Peter gets scared. I mean, they're they're out and there's a storm comes up and, and they think they see Jesus walking in the water. They think it's a ghost. So they kind of freak out. And Peter starts to walk to Jesus and he actually falls down and sinks down into the water. Right. And Christ pulls him out of the water. And the result of that story is the first time the disciples affirm that he's the son of God. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. So there seems to be some kind of hmm. oh change. Oh my gosh, nasty name. Nasty yeah, name, bringing it in. Not a name. Thanks, guys, this was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, I mean, it's, it's when you compare it to Matthew, I think it's Matthew 7, the first time when Jesus is asleep in the boat. In the, Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Thank you, Kyle. Is that right? That's the Sermon on the Mount. That's the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> oh. you, know what? you can trust hey, us. I have a Bible. Can I just look for it? <laughs> the other thing that I was thinking about was Jesus' baptism, mm-hmm. where you do have Jesus being submerged in the water or being brought up out of the water with the Holy Spirit descending upon him. Yep. Right. Hovering over the waters. Hovering over the waters. Mm-hmm. Anyways, just another picture. There's a lot there. Yeah, and, and, and the Jesus' baptism story is actually pretty interesting because when we think about baptism— with uh, looking looking back, kind of with the Christian lenses on, we think about baptism as something that is like synonymous with Christianity. But baptismal practices were, were around. Oh yeah, before mm-hmm. like yeah. they were prevalent. Kind of purification rites, purification rites, and then also it was uh, you know if you were not a Jew but converted to Judaism, you would underwent proselyte baptism. Mm-hmm. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So there, so baptism as a ritual existed, and in the life of the early church, the early church writings are trying to distinguish Christian baptism from other practices of baptism. I think about the the Didache, right? Which the Didache says, baptism was the initial rite of the Christian religion to be followed by the Lord's Supper. Let no one eat or drink of your Eucharist except those who have been baptized into the name of the Lord. 
That's a big word, what's Kyle. The okay, what's Kyle? the didache? Yeah, well, what's the didache? It's actually not a big word. Um, <laughs> it's a short word. <laughs> okay. Oh, you mean it can be confusing. The didache Speaking function Speaking of language, is, please. Uh, a kind of almost <laughs> a, a manual of pastoral theology in the early church. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, and a lot of scholars would say that it was written before most of the New Testament documents, and right. it's possibly who written. wrote it? It's the teaching of the 12, is the idea is that, is that this is the teaching of the apostles. We don't know exactly who wrote it down. Yeah. And it's not canonical. This is not like a... But it's incredibly instructive it of is. the life of the early church. Right. And <clears throat> So it's referenced frequently. People will reference it frequently when they're no working doubt. on interpretive issues. No doubt. Yeah. Especially for early New Testament studies. Yes. Like how, how are they... And how, how, what did the community do? Like yes. what was the life of the early Christian church like? Right. And so we don't... You could to, read it in an afternoon. Oh, for sure. Like it's not you, a long book. If one of our listeners is like... I mean, you, it's shorter than most New Testament books. And it's a public access book. So, so you we should Google. put that in the show, show notes. notes. Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but like the Didache is uh, with baptism, with the Lord's Supper, with a, uh, a number of other practices, ordinance, the, the two ordinances in particular, the Didache is trying to distinguish this is what it is as opposed to this is what you might think it could be mm-hmm. based off of other precedents you've seen. Um, and so this idea of baptism being significant, of it being a signifier, it is a huge mega thing. We've connected some biblical theology things here with the water. We've kind of treated some historical theology things with baptism um, and the importance of the Trinitarian name in baptism, which is certainly prescriptive across what the New Testament says yeah. about baptism, even if you disagree on timing and mode. But we do need, I think, to move forward and talk about who should be baptized and when and how. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind, we're taking a distinct approach to this. The approach is called credo-baptism. And just like JT's already said, we are not saying this is the, def- we're not, we're saying this is the approach we take as yeah. a church yep. or as churches. We're not saying that this is the only faithful approach to the issue. Yep. So I also want us to circle around and talk about how Baptists can get this wrong. Oh, I don't. I don't know, know what that, that. How do we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got a little list I made over here. Oh, yeah, but you I go, go do your next part, and then we can. Oh wow, that's <laughs> okay. Uh, I feel like now I'm going to get hit with a sucker. No, punch. no, 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 not at all. No, I, I feel like just keep on a, talking, Kyle. Well, all <laughs> Let all this stupid fall. She out. just keeps writing. Like just no, <laughs> <laughs> just scribbling. No, for all of our Presbyterian friends who are listening along, thinking they're about to unsubscribe, I do think we should be honest for about sure. the, what, how how sure. um, if we don't live in the tension between the two positions we can uh, drift into some weird thinking. And most of our theological heroes would disagree, like my theological heroes at least, would disagree with me on this. And so... Luther and Calvin both affirmed infant baptism, didn't they? Yeah. Augustine, I mean, Bobbing. Augustine, I mean, Edwards, Bob, like Bobbing, to be fair, the burden of proof is on you. I mean, like <laughs> mo, mo, historically. Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of the historical witness, in terms of the biblical witness, yeah. I would say it's something totally <laughs> different. <laughs> I mean, just frankly, but um, Captain Baptist, over there. who should be baptized? Let's say the Baptists typically answer this: well, How? I mean, the people that are getting baptized, are people that have, have made a confession about Jesus's lordship, kingship, his salvation, uh, their salvation because of what he's accomplished on their behalf. These are people who we would say have experienced conversion. That's right. They have been regenerated. They've been born again. They've placed their faith in The Spirit in has earth. done this work in their heart, in their life. He's illuminated them to the good work of Jesus yeah. and who he is, and they've been born again. So if you were, like, if somebody was like, well, why do you think it should be uh, disciples or believers, where would you go? Nate, where, where's, some, where's some place you'd be like, somebody's like, why is it believers that should be baptized? Where do you take them? Oh, gosh. Uh, Acts. Okay. Can I just say all of Acts? I think that's the normative pattern there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, 
Matthew 28, 18 Matthew, through 20 yeah, comes yeah. up, right? Yeah, of course. That the the order, it's like, yeah. go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Mm-hmm. And so, right? Yeah. So it's like, you make the disciples and yeah. you baptize them. And I, I think in the, in the narrative of Acts, you just... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. okay. Well, you make do disciples we, across the lifetime. you want to process some things just, before? You know, but it has to start. Little, yeah, sure, sure. Conversion is a, is the first step of baptism. I would agree. Okay, good. Just making sure on the same page. Didn't want Capti Bapti to overstate his Oh my gosh, Capti Bapti. Captain Bapti. Hashtag, listen, Hashtag Kathy Bapti. Um, <laughs> wherever you're at out there. Um, uh, actually, actually, I probably should investigate hashtags before I throw them out. Yeah, yeah, that'd be smart. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, okay. So, but you would go to Acts because you would say, listen, there's a normative repent, pattern. Repent, believe, and get baptized. Yes, repent, yes. believe, get mm-hmm. baptized. Starting in Acts 2 with Peter. Yep. Mm-hmm. The end yeah. of the sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, when? Like, like are you looking for like an age? Well, yeah, but like, so for example, uh, you see sometimes like in Acts 8, right, mm-hmm. with the Phil- Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, when it's like Philip is there and there's this providential encounter, he shares the gospel mm-hmm. with the eunuch. He's like, hey, what would prevent me from being baptized? He's like, nothing, let's nothing, do it right let's now. Do it. Let's go. Right, Down so it's just like, boom, just like yeah, that. Yeah, I might, I might distinguish myself a little bit here than some of my other Baptistic okay. friends. Yeah. Uh, and I, let me also say this, this is not an issue that should separate us. We can disagree and love each other. Uh, I think in the early church, the pattern that you see is is fairly um, almost immediate baptism, something like yeah. this, Acts chapter 8. But what you see start happening in the early church is, actually, let me step back. One of the reasons that's happening is because of familiarity with Yahweh, his yeah. story, and what's going on. I mean, you see the Ethiopian eunuch is reading the Old Testament. He's familiar yes. with the story. and he, He's just looking for somebody to get to baptize him after right. the story is explained. But then as, as the Gentiles are being included into the life of the church and as the gospel is making itself out into the, kind of the pagan world, they're realizing, oh my goodness, we need to do, we need to do some more of our homework with them and right. make sure that they actually know the story that they're buying into, what they actually believe. And this is called catechism. Mm-hmm. And so my preference would be for somebody who is brand new to the faith, who hasn't been hearing sermons or kind of understanding the gospel, over a period of time and demonstrating uh, commitment to the gospel, both with their confession, with their life, that we should wait to baptize them. So the, the early church, by about the second, and uh, certainly the fourth century, but perhaps the third century also, they're waiting years to baptize people yeah. because there's concern that they would be letting people into the community who are either promoting heresy or living in ways that are not in accordance with the gospel. So when you ask me when, it really is a matter of like, tell me about the candidate because is the candidate is this somebody that's been walking with the Lord and is demonstrating repentance uh, and a fruitful life, then I would say, let's baptize them right now. But if it's somebody that just heard the gospel for the first time five minutes ago, I would be a little bit more hesitant because of the implications that that could have on the community you're baptizing them into. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and uh, I think that we that is more of a, honestly, a case-by-case thing right. than a prescriptive exactly. like. You know, it's got to be three months or... No, yeah, exactly. Here, like, and, you know, there are good steps that, like, you know, I've seen churches that will kind of curriculum around this where they'll be like, hey, here's like this, our six-week baptism class or here's our six-week orientation of the Christian faith class, stuff like that. I think those things are helpful as long as they don't become like, the Bible says you have to wait six weeks, eight weeks, Absolutely not. I'm not trying to say that. But that idea of like, let's train yeah, I also think there there could be some, uh, I mean, I think that's a good reason to wait, but yeah. there's also some bad reasons to wait as mm-hmm. well. Right. There uh, is. You know, uh, when my wife and I were baptized here at the village, uh, my wife is 
super introverted. Uh, and we were a huge church. So there's like 1,500 people in the room mm-hmm. the way we do right. baptism. Uh, she was pretty terrified to get up mm-hmm. there and give her testimony. Mm-hmm. Uh, she ended up doing it to her credit. I mean, she just kind of powered through and thought, you know, this is important enough. I need to just kind of overcome my fear. But if you're strapped down by fear of kind of fear, what we would call fear of man, or uh, there are things you're still kind of unsure. I don't know if I believe that God is triune. Those are good reasons to wait. Uh, or the the second one is a great reason to wait. Right. Uh, uh, any kind of um, wrestle or anxiety is probably not a great reason to wait. Right. Um, yeah, I, I just think there there's uh, positives and negatives to both. Well, sure. Um, and I think one of the things that I've often spent time talking with people as we get prepared for baptism, so there's folks right now that we're preparing for baptism at the end of March. Mm-hmm. Yeah, TBC uh, has baptismal services this weekend. Okay, yeah. So this is timely. Uh as I've talked to them, one of the things that I do try to stress, because what, what, what I'll find often is people ask, well, why do I really need to be baptized in the gathering? Couldn't I just do this somewhere else? Mm-hmm. And TVC hasn't been prescriptive about that. I don't think churches should be, right? It's saying, like, you have to be baptized in the gathering. They wouldn't say half. We would, we would urge. We'd strongly encourage. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's because even though it can be a really vulnerable thing to do in front of a room, whether there's 50 people or 1,500 people, right? It's just like it, the size, you know, sometimes for people that are struggling with the fear component like it could be like five people mm-hmm. and it would still be a very because it is a deeply intimate vulnerable thing especially the way that we do it with sharing your testimony yeah. right mm-hmm. um and so because of that uh i i can understand pastorally why some people really struggle with anxiety and fear around like yeah i i'm gonna have to like tell my story here it's a it yeah. is a vulnerable thing but i i do think that it's a way of the church being able to welcome in brothers and sisters in christ it's really important mm-hmm. for the lifeblood of the church because with baptism we're not just this person is not just publicly identifying with the risen lord jesus the church is publicly identifying with them that's right as a member of the body of christ They're a part of the family as a family member and so i think it is significant um that this happens okay i want to get to your questions jen <laughs> i really do i want i want i want to hear it out so what are some of the tensions you feel like our position lives in in contrast with our brothers and sisters of right. Pado Baptist. So I've been a Southern Baptist my entire adult life, but it wasn't until I met Kyle Worley that I knew what true love for the SBC was. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. First time I, the first time I came into your office, you were like, I love the SBC and he knows all the rules and all the stuff. Better the devil you know than the devil That's you right. don't. Um. Um, and so, but, but honestly, I grew up in, um, in a bunch of different denominations, but some of them were Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian. So I have, you know, I, I hear critique even from mm-hmm. people in my family who are in, in these other denominations. And um, from the outside looking in, people wonder how, why for oftentimes um, baptism degrades into a personal experience for for Baptists. Mm. You know, like, oh, I've even heard people counseled before, not here at the village, sure. just so to be clear, but people who have been counseled, well, if you don't remember it, you know, then you should just do it again. Or, um, yeah. well, if you, and, and there's a ton of like, well, people were baptized when they were 12 and yeah. then they went through a season where they were extremely disobedient or whatever. And so then they're like, well, I need to do that again because I must not have been a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so I think in the Baptist church, we can get really obsessive about um, identifying, wait, now when was the actual conversion point? Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. then marking it with, and so like I have a family member who is delightful and well-meaning who ended up being baptized five times. Mm-hmm. Yeah because of this um, lack of assurance of salvation and, and those kinds of things. And so I think that's something we have to be really careful in the Baptist church that we talk about 
with with care. I agree. Yeah. That's uh, a that good it's point. not about your personal experience. It's it's saying something that's true about God. Yeah. Ultimately, and uh, and then I think the other thing that can be a ditch for us is the way that we think about children in the life of the church. Yeah. Mm. Um, Presbyterians understand children as the church of today yeah. in a way that Baptists sometimes struggle to get their heads around. Oh, yeah, preach and on it, this. And it trickles yeah. down into the way that we parent. Yeah. Uh, we we think that um, we have to be really careful to proselytize a child who we think hasn't can, professed faith versus just treating them as a part of our just family. Yeah. And so parenting practices can arise where I'm constantly asking, well, do I think this kid is in or out? Yes. And and then I'm going to speak differently to that child than I will to the child that I that has made a profession of faith. Yes. And and children don't perceive that the way that we think they do. They perceive that as favoritism. Yes. And that's so toxic in, in a home. And, and so uh, it's I would argue that we we treat our children in our homes as members of our family that that worships the Lord, and and obviously we're looking toward having conversations around faith. But we can become obsessive about looking for the profession and then getting that kid dunked as quickly as we can. Like I, also, I have this funny memory of when my kids were in elementary school and um, one of their friends was baptized, and the parents threw a full on pizza party like it was better than any birthday party that my kids had ever gone to. And uh, Jeff and I are sitting at this party going, oh my gosh, every Wilkin child is going to ask to be baptized next <laughs> week. You know? So I think we sometimes don't think right. through what we're communicating to um, young believers or even to children around yeah. this issue of baptism. And we should really think hard about yeah. how it shapes the way that we interact with, with those more vulnerable members of our community. I think both of those pitfalls are absolutely correct. I really do. And I think the first one when you're talking about um, how baptism is like can just be seen as this very personal experience. Mm-hmm. Man, Which is a symptom of a larger problem it, in the church. It is. And I think it's you a can't sim- lay that yeah, just yeah. on baptism. No, for sure. But I think t- I think there are t- actually two big doctrinal th- doctrinal things that lay at the root of that problem. I think the first one is that we uh, we misunderstand that the doctrine of union with Christ is the key doctrine for our whole scope of salvation, meaning that when we place our faith in Jesus, we are sealed into an unbreakable, unshakable union, that our faith isn't the thing that activates Christ's faithfulness towards us. Yeah. It's something that's receiving. Mm-hmm. And so so you might say, uh, this is where somebody goes, hey, I placed my faith in Christ whenever I was eight years old, but man, it wasn't until 12 years later that I really began to walk in some of the enjoyment mm-hmm. of what God has for me in Jesus. Well, I would go, well, great. Well, guess what was secure for you the whole time? Mm-hmm. Every spiritual blessing yeah. in Christ Jesus. Why? Mm-hmm. Because it was never about you. It was about what God had done for us in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I think the doctrine of union with Christ is a huge part. When we emphasize conversion, apart from this doctrine of you are now united with Jesus, well, we've done a significant disservice because the next time people experience greater sanctification, they're going to go, something new has happened. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, no, no. There's mm-hmm. new, there is more intimate communion than you had. There's not a more secure union than mm-hmm. you had. That already existed. And then the second thing is we divorce baptism from the covenant community. Mm-hmm. And then it's, well, then, yeah, it's radically personal. I want to be baptized. I should be baptized because I want to be baptized in yeah. my own way. Yeah. At Don't my you want to have that experience? Don't you right. want to have that experience to remember? Yes. And, yeah. And it becomes about me remembering an experience instead of us remembering the character of God exactly. as a community. Yeah. And it, and our memory and, uh, and the memory component is short, short circuited. Because part of baptism in covenant community is the church remembering what God has done in your right. life. Mm-hmm. Right. 
it's it's not just you remembering mm-hmm. what God has done in your life. This is why baptism has to be a part, I think, of the covenant's collect, uh, covenant community's collective memory. Because on baptism, JT is saying, hey, will you remind me on my worst day? Mm-hmm. What today? What today was? That's right. Mm-hmm. Will you remind me? Because there's going to be a day where JT, either through the brokenness of the world or the brokenness in his own life, is going to have a hard time remembering that yes, God was faithful to seek and save the lost, That's of exactly whom right. I was one, and I've publicly identified with yeah. Jesus. So it's coming in those days and be like, hey, do you remember? Do you remember? Because we we like we remember. Mm-hmm. We're your brothers and sisters, yeah. and we remember yeah. what God has done in your life. That's right. And so I think that's a big part of it. I think it's good for us to say that. On either side of this, pedo baptism or credo baptism, mm-hmm. there are ways to treat lightly the sign. Yes, and so we might turn and say to the 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 pedo baptist, "You're treating this lightly because you're practicing it on an infant." But they could in turn turn to us and say, "You're treating this lightly because you're dunking people over and over again." Yes, and so it's important for us to have both of those views and to respectfully hold them and know there are. There are valid expressions of this on both sides of yes. the issue, and then there are things to look out for on both sides as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think that's well said. Anything that you else you felt like we you wish we got would have gotten to in this on baptism? Oh, I mean, there's a ton. There's a ton. Like, I want to talk about continuity and discontinuity in the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay. and between <laughs> boundary markers, and I want to talk about all that stuff. But I think a common question for people in our our arenas uh, as Baptists is if. If we require, not require, if we, um, if baptism is a consequence of conversion, yeah. why was Christ baptized? Yeah. Well, the scriptures say Christ was baptized to fulfill all righteousness, right? So I, I take that to mean that Jesus Christ stands at the hinge point. No, I'm, I just jumped into my answer. I'm not saying my answer is definitive here. Okay? You're doing great, Kyle. Thank you. Uh, but uh, m- my take on this is that Jesus Christ enters in at a hinge point of redemptive history. I think that's inarguable. I think one of the things that you know that Jesus is doing is he is, in his own self and ministry, is n- like essentially exchanging what had been the boundary marker for what was going to be the boundary marker, right? So what had been the boundary marker of covenant uh, fidelity had been circumcision. What now is the boundary marker for covenant fidelity is baptism. So I think that's a part of what's happening. I think another part of what's happening in Jesus' baptism is that we want to read baptism in the Gospels uh, through the lens of helping us build out our ordinance or our sacramental theology, when really what I think the biggest thing that's happening is that it's an anointing ceremony, right? Jesus Christ is being anointed as this king, as the long-expected, long-awaited king. And so I don't know that necessarily the baptism of Jesus should be like the penultimate example of what baptism in the New Covenant community is because of the uniqueness of There's that so moment in redemptive history. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in more ways, it feels like this is a side by side of mm-hmm. the uh, uh, the royal anointing ceremony than it is like, hey, I know there's going to be a lot of intramural discussions on what baptism is, and so, <laughs> right, and part of that's how historical narrative works and different uh, from the epistolary fashion where you get more exposition of baptism and yeah. So, for what it's worth, anything to add to that? I mean, no, that was great. <laughs> I mean, there's lots that could be yeah, added, but like, sure. yeah. yeah, he's the. Fr- I think it also connects him to the idea that he's the firstborn among yeah. many siblings mm-hmm. because it's a visible. You know, there's a ton going on. Like he's being proclaimed to be the son of God yes. there, yes. and then also he is. Um, and he is. Um, an act. Re- he is acting out in a sense what it means to be reborn. Yes, that's good. If someone's listening to this, they were baptized as an infant, and they're like. Oh my goodness. I, I really like knowing faith, 
and they don't agree with me on this. And let's say there's two different reactions happening right now. Somebody's listening to it and they're going, man, I, I feel like they're disparaging infant baptism. What do you say to that? But like they still feel convictionally like I, I'm staying there. Or two, they're like, okay, I, maybe I need to be baptized right. following my conversion. What do you say to the first person? What do you say to the second person? Do your homework. Okay. I think a lot of us um, hold our baptism position only with one view in hand. And so do your homework. And, and you will either be reassured in your position or challenged in it. And, and there's no danger in, in doing your homework. That's good. Yeah. I will say this too. As a part of my own story, uh, while I was in school, I went to Dallas Seminary for yeah. a few years. <coughs> Pardon me. And it's a interdenominational school. So it's not non-denominational. There's lots of denominations present. And I came as a as a Baptist, but I had Episcopalian and Presbyterian friends, and they made me seriously consider their position. And so I would say both to the uh, believer Baptist and the infant Baptist, just kind of reiterating what Jen said there, if you have kind of slyly dismissed the other position as an mm-hmm. unthinking, unbiblical, they don't have a way to present their case biblically position, you do need to do your homework mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. And so if you are an infant Baptist and you're committed to your position because you've done your homework and you've done homework on believer's baptism, wonderful. You know, keep reading scripture, keep Mm -hmm. staying faithful to the Lord. We can partner together for ministry. If you haven't done your homework and and your reaction is maybe a bit more like, ooh, I don't want to do this, not because I haven't thought about this theologically, but because of just my family tradition, what would this communicate to my mom and dad or my family, then you should. You should Mm -hmm. do your homework. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. good. I mean, that, that was kind of my story. I was... Uh, baptized as an infant in the Methodist Church, um, which is Pado Baptist, Arminian in, in uh, the way they understand salvation, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, growing up, probably around college, I started to branch out into other veins of theology and uh, found a home in Reformed theology. Um, by the time I got here to the village, uh, I was pretty convinced that credo baptism was the way of the New Testament. Um, so I, I think. Um, I think in order to show charity to both sides, we need to affirm that uh, there are there are men and women who arrive in each of these positions with good, solid biblical mm-hmm. exegesis. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And we don't take issue with either of those groups. It's the person who is simply abiding by a cultural yeah. or a subcultural norm. On either side of that the, we yeah. would ask to, to challenge your thinking. Yeah, I still good. take some issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I would just say yeah. to the second person, <laughs> I feel like that is just your life statement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the second person, if somebody <laughs> just always true. take issue, it's true. Um, Solid it, gold, nasty you, If you're the second person and you're like, hey, I really, I, I'm rethinking uh, my baptism position. I just want to encourage you. The biggest hang up, I feel like, for folks who were baptized as an infant, um, and again, this is not a convictional theological thing. This is just like a cultural thing. So this is if you're the person who just like received this and you haven't really thought much about it and now you're thinking about it. The biggest hang up I often find trying to pastorally guide people through this is I don't want to dishonor my parents or I don't want to dishonor mm-hmm. the people that brought me to be baptized as an infant, okay? Now, there are good reasons for infant baptism theologically and convictionally, but if the big hang-up for you is that, let me just tell you, I think it's one of the ways you can actually honor your parents because you, when your parents baptized you as an infant, they were hoping and praying that God would do incredible things through you. 
And part of believer's baptism is going like, look, like your prayers have been answered. Hmm. Like your hopes have been answered and that you were hoping and praying the day that you baptized me that I would honor the Lord and I would walk with the Lord Jesus. And believer's baptism is simply a way of demonstrating like that's been proven to be true. So thank you for praying those prayers and thank you for honoring the Lord with my life. And so if you're somebody who's trying to think through how to tell that story with your parents or you feel like you want to be baptized, but that's been the big hang up, then I would love for you... I would love for you to uh, to really just think about this is probably a part of just the fulfillment of what your parents were already praying and asking the Lord for. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, we're going to be talking about people getting shanked in 2 Samuel 335. <laughs> <laughs> How do you like that? Let's do it. Is that title going to work? I'm looking at the bay. Got the okay sign. Excellent. <laughs> See you next time. Grace and peace.